0: Hey everyone and welcome to this episode of the Real Fit Women podcast. Today I was talking to Jamie Filer, and she was kind enough to share her story of 10 years suffering from anorexia. It almost destroyed her life. She was hospitalized three times, lost friends, her grades dropped. However, she did realize eventually that if she didn't get better soon, she would lose her life. So she's on this episode to share her story, hopefully to inspire people out there and show them and show you guys that, you know, you can you can get better and you can live the life you want. So I really hope you guys listen to this episode and, and take something away from it. Okay, so I'm talking with Jamie Filer today. Thanks for being on the call, Jamie.
1: Absolute pleasure.
0: So, Jamie's from Canada, but apparently she's having a holiday in Florida, which I'm totally jealous of right now. So, thanks for, for having a chat on your holiday.
1: Oh, any, anytime. Anytime. I love to do this kind of stuff.
0: So, your story, you're, you're reasonably young. You're 25 currently? Um, yes, I am. And you're a competitive amateur bodybuilder, which I'm not 100% sure what that means, so perhaps you can explain <laughs> the the wording of that
1: okay um so competitive obviously it is what it is Uh, i do i compete in bodybuilding um and then the amateur aspect is that i have not yet uh received my pro card in the sport that is to say i'm still competing at the amateur level because i'm not a professional yet um i haven't won enough shows to become an official professional bodybuilder so i'm still currently an amateur
0: Okay, so you compete, and then when you have enough wins, that that turns you into a pro.
1: Exactly. You have to compete at the right show and place first, and then you receive what's called a pro card, and then that enables you to compete at the highest level.
0: Okay, cool. And you're also a personal trainer?
1: I am. That is my, my full-time, 40-hour-a-week job.
0: Nice. So why did you get started in I guess the the fitness industry and the bodybuilding industry is it something you've always been into or is there a story behind? Well, I
1: was the uh, I was the girl that grew up with sports instead of dolls. Um, my parents gave me a basketball instead of a Barbie, um, and basketball continued to be my passion all the way through till the end of high school. Uh, so I was always the active kid. No video games, no computers, no television. Just straight sports and outdoors all the time. Um, and so, yeah, that was that was pretty much my life growing up. And then in high school, I got really into basketball, and I and I tried to develop my skill. Um, but at the same time, I was battling uh, an eating disorder that was only getting progressively worse. I started my first diet at 11 years old. Uh, because I, yeah, uh, I thought I was too fat. (laughs) Um, Um, And then by the... Sorry? I'm
0: just, it's it's curious why we we think that and at such a young age, do you remember, is it, was it things like magazines or just peer pressure or what was it for you that you thought that...
1: Well, in in Canada, we have, uh, like you have grade six, seven and eight is called junior high. And then grades 9, 10, 11, and 12 is high school. So I was entering a new school um, that I'd never been to before in junior high with a, an all-new peer group. Um, and I guess I was I was just nervous, and I didn't know how I was going to fit in, but I figured at least if I was thin, yeah. um, you know, people wouldn't say, oh, there's there's the jock or there's the tomboy. I'd just be, you know, a thin girl. Yeah,
0: yeah that's fair enough. So what happened? Um, you you dieted and it just it got worse
1: it got worse I uh I mean they say that that eating disorders are all about having control you know you 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 want to control your food you want to control what happens to your body you want to control your environment but the truth is after a certain point and after you've been doing it long enough there's no control anymore Mm. it literally becomes you and there's nothing you can do about it uh short of or, or at least until you seek treatment so I had you know, by the time I was in grade ten, I, I and that's relatively young. I mean, I say by the time I was in grade ten, I literally, I was a veteran of yep. the eating disorder world by that time. Um, so that was probably when it hit its its worst point when I was sixteen.
0: Mm, that's yeah, that's not cool, hey?
1: No, no, it's uh, it changed my life.
0: But hey, you've you've come out of it. So what? What happened? Like you you said that you were hospitalized a few
1: times. I was. I was hospitalized.
0: That had to be pretty bad to get to that stage.
1: It was rough. And uh, it's not like I didn't know it was coming. I was in an outpatient unit. So every week I would have to go to the hospital and they would weigh me and they would do blood work and they would give me an ECG, like a complete physical every single week. And they said, listen, Jamie, um, if you go below this number in terms of body weight um, we will have to hospitalize you and every week it was the same deal Jamie your body weight's dropping this is the point in which you'll be hospitalized week after week after week and then after maybe two or three months I actually hit that admission weight and they said we got to take you in and because I was under 18 it wasn't voluntary you know my my parents had already said to the hospital you have permission to take our kid if you think her health is at risk
0: gosh that must have been hard for them to do that
1: um it was probably the hardest decision they had to make but if it wasn't for them making that decision I wouldn't be on the other end of the phone with you right now
0: yeah no fair call yeah so what happened yeah. to to like obviously that that's enough I guess to make you stop and and go hang hey, no, on something's <laughs> got to change but Oh. Um,
1: you you'd think but then uh no I I uh I turned the tables a little bit by the time I was 18 I was so angry with my parents for having done that to me I decided I was going to stick it to them by getting worse so my low point actually came after I became uh, like legally became an adult and it was now a voluntary choice to put myself in hospital um I got myself down to 95 pounds and uh, didn't actually start to change my life until I was 21 years old. And that was when I started my recovery. So it was a full 10 years of uh, of having anorexia before I decided enough was enough.
0: Gosh, that's hard.
1: Yeah, yeah. So it was rough on my parents. Um, I actually lost my father at 19. So he never got to see me get better, which is unfortunate, but... Yeah. Yeah.
0: So what happened at 21 to go okay. Come on, you know, chickadee, it's time to turn this thing around. What's what happened? Well, it it was a
1: couple of things. Um I guess the first one was having lost my father. I realized that and I have no siblings. Um I realized that I was the only thing my mother had left. And if if something happened to me, her life would be over. Like if something happened to me, I was I was going to take both of us down with me. So I, I had to start getting better. The second thing was that, you know, having had anorexia for 10 years at 21 years old, I realized that if I continued with this illness, I was going to have had it longer than I wouldn't have had it. Like I would have lived with it for, let's say, 11 years and lived without it for 10. And that was a completely ludicrous ratio I I would be able to live with myself and then the last thing was that I was in I guess first or second year university second year I think and I said listen university are supposed to be the best four years of your life after this you become an adult after this there's no excuses you get a job you know eventually you find a husband you get kids there's there's no room for error after university so I wanted to enjoy the those four years and I couldn't if I was you know, if I had this, this illness weighing me down.
0: Yeah, that's a good way to look at it, I guess. Yeah. Is that, yeah. Especially the, the 11 years with and the 10 years without anorexia. Right, that's... right.
1: I needed, I needed the internal and the external motivation. Like if, if I didn't do it for myself, at least I could be doing it for my mom. And on days where I wasn't doing it for my mom, I knew that my backup was doing it for myself. So I had both sides of the spectrum there.
0: Yeah. And did that, once you made the decision, was it as easy as making the decision or was there, it was still, I guess, a journey and a progress. You had bad days and good days and that kind of thing. Oh,
1: always. Nobody, you know, even when you decide to get better, you know, versus being entered into a program or an adult, like in a hospital or something like that, it's never easy. It's uh, always a very, very gradual slope. Um, And if, you make your recovery too steep, uh, you risk sliding backwards, just like a real hill. Um, so thank God I never relapsed. You know, touch wood, it's been five years yep. and I've been clean and sober without going back, but it was because it took me a full five years to recover.
0: Yeah. So how did you, did you recover? Did you, is there, I, I personally don't have any experience with anorexia, so I'm not sure how one gets over it is it is there you know like a 12-step plan or a similar you know is it just you tough it out and do what you can
1: um I think it depends which route you'd like to use um I felt I'm not going to say betrayed but I felt like the system you know the quote-unquote system didn't do anything for me back when I was 15 16 um, and admitted into hospital so so I didn't want to use it now that I was an adult I felt that I had all of the tools that I was going to need at my disposal, I had an amazing system of family and friends, um, who were very supportive, especially family. Um, I had an incredible psychologist uh, with whom I worked, um, and it, because I used a psychologist and not a psychiatrist in Canada, the difference is that a psychiatrist can prescribe you meds, and a psychologist is a doctor who, you know, you just speak to. Yep. So I used uh, him every single week for uh, about three years. And uh, that was also when I got serious into bodybuilding. Like that's when the, the fitness industry helped pull me out of the, the depths of hell. Because if I was going to get involved in the fitness industry, I had to be a picture-perfect model of health. And I had to make it happen in a healthy, gradual way. It wasn't, you know, you, when you're 5'7", you can't be 105 pounds and say, you know don't you want to be like me don't you want to be as healthy as me you're not healthy when you look like that
0: did you find that to be so that sounds like you found that to be a good thing rather than an extra pressure that you had to be a perfect model of health you didn't find that to be extra pressure on you
1: no no I wanted so uh, okay so this is a I mean it's classic classic anorexia in that everything we do we have to be the best at and if you're going to do something, you go all in, type A, um, you know, do it perfectly or don't do it at all. Yep. So I knew that if I was going to get better, I wasn't going to slip. And if I was going to be um, someone that was talked about in the fitness industry, I was going to do it um, wholeheartedly. And I was going to jump in with both feet and say, let's do this. So it was because I wanted to, not because I felt pressure, because nobody knew who I was. I was. I was getting better. It was only once I had recovered and, and my story started coming out, that people were like, hey,
0: you
1: know, look at this kid.
0: Yep. Oh, that's good. So what now? Now you've, do you feel that it's like, it's something that you'll have forever in the back of your mind or you think that as years go on, you're getting stronger and you won't slip back into um, your older?
1: It's tough because now that I'm, I'm a competitive bodybuilder, I... I cycle through these phases of on-season and off-season you know there's a period of time where I'm about 20 to 30 pounds below my normal weight and then after I compete I know that my weight has to go up you know another 10 20 30 pounds but it's all in the name of the sport like you you, okay so it's never healthy for a female to be sitting at that level of body fat year-round and I know that now, and I've come to terms with that, so I have to be okay with watching my body go from, you know, the kind of bodies you see on stage at a bodybuilding competition to the kind of body you'd be okay seeing on a beach somewhere. And there, there's actually a difference. Um, so I think sometimes the eating disorder plays games with my mind and says, you know, hey, Jamie, you just competed. Wouldn't you like to look like this? you know, for the yeah. rest of the year. Why, you know, why do you have to take your off season? But then I remember that if I want to be successful at this sport and if I want to live a healthy life, I need to let my body, you know, I need to let my body go a little bit. I need to get a little fluffy. I need to gain those 5, 10 pounds. Like,
0: yep. so, yeah. That's,
1: yeah, that's
0: it. Yeah, cool. So what what goals have you got now that you're competitive bodybuilder or like with the personal training do you have any ambitions or like to, to help others or to to win a certain title or anything like that
1: well yes I would eventually love to get my my pro card and become a professional bodybuilder in the natural world um, and then become kind of an ambassador for the sport you know hey look where, look where I've come from and look where I'm going so I guess that's my my sport or my hobby goals, and in terms of my professional goals, I would love to write for, uh, I don't know if you guys have this, um, Oxygen magazine? Yep, we do have Oxygen. You get it? Okay, I would love to write for Oxygen, Muscle and Fitness, HERS, Fitness RX, any of the female, um, I guess, health and fitness magazines that don't take it to an extreme. You know, I I love Flex magazine and I love Muscular Development, but that's not... (laughs) the the ideal of health I want I want to inspire women and I want to work with women and I want to teach them so much about self-confidence and that there's nothing they can't do if they put their minds to it and there's no obstacle you can't overcome like all of those cliches that sound cheesy until you live them um I, I just love to inspire people to go after their goals
0: yeah that's great um, that's what I'm finding as I talk to more and more women that the people that have had some kind of story or, you know, experience like yourself, it's it's part of the. I guess the the next step is to help others or to to share and to inspire others. I'm finding that's that's quite common, and I guess that's what I'm trying to do too. So,
1: yeah, if you're not if you're not giving back, then I don't believe you've you've really learned from the experience. If you keep it to yourself. I mean, that's not to say everyone has to go out pouring their heart out to everyone they meet online or or whatever. But if you're not if you're not trying to give back uh, from what you got, like I I literally got my life back. Yeah. You know, I I could have died in hospital. I could have died any number of times, but I didn't. So the responsibility is on me to share that with other people. And I mean, you're doing this with your podcast. So kudos to you.
0: Cheers. Same to you. Yeah. Well, I hope um, someone out there listening to this has been inspired, or at least they got something they can they can take away from it and, and implement a change in their life for the better. So thanks for thanks for your time, Jamie, and thanks for sharing.
1: Oh, anytime, so anytime. And I hope uh, I hope story. your travels are successful.
0: Yeah. Cheers.
1: Thank you.